always. This is our weekly podcast about politics, Christianity, culture, our opinions on all of the above, and at the end, our favorite portion, the stinkers and thinkers of media of the week. Um, we like the main part, too. We do, we do, but the stinkers and thinkers, come on, everyone That's likes true. that That's the best. Um, so this week, we are going to do a topic that I think has been on all of our minds lately. It feels like we are in the post-pandemic era, right? We're moving out. Maybe so. I mean, it's, yeah, maybe so. It seems like everywhere we go, places are full, masks are off, almost like normal life. Um so post pandemic, we've gone through this year, this really intense year globally. Um, things have radically shifted with work, with social life, mm-hmm. with family dynamics, with our views about safety and what news we can trust, and so many things this past year. Jam packed. All related to the pandemic, not putting aside other social movements that were happening this year. Yeah. Um, so we thought we'd talk about what is here to stay, what we're going to hold on to, what we're going to let go, <laughs> good <laughs> things, bad things that came from this, um, and how we see the world changing. Taylor, what do you think is going to be the biggest change we see? Well, I think part of the discussion... <laughs> you rejecting my question? <laughs> <laughs> we need to do a different topic. No, I think... Maybe the unspoken thing, just addressed out of the gate when discussing COVID, is the human cost, right? The 600,000 plus people who've died in the U.S. alone from COVID. Um, And I guess, guess, you know... All of them had family members. Right, right. Uh, The, you know, millions, few million globally who've died Mm -hmm. that we know about. And then the run-on effects of the people who did have it and maybe complications further down the road. Disabilities, yeah. And obviously for them, uh, like it took their lives and then, yeah, affected their families, loved ones, communities. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's, you know, their their takeaway would be, well, I lost, you know, my mother, father, grandmother, grandfather. And that's an obvious effect. Mm-hmm. And just losing all those lives is a tragedy in itself. Lost uh, everything that comes with being a human being, right? Being in, created in the hum- image of God, early loss of life. So, and then there's the experience, like the nature of our discussion, right? Where I think especially people like us, maybe more white collar work, stay at home we didn't have to go into an we office didn't lose for our our jobs. Jobs. Yeah, we didn't lose our jobs our workplaces didn't shutter their doors yeah. uh so we're talking more from that perspective and i think even just for everyone in the world over there were it was just a it was just a weird time right i remember just the feeling of that march hmm. a year ago of <laughs> Things will only be shut down for two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I remember like the, the vice president saying, let's give this, you know, what, 15 days to flatten the curve. Yeah. Um, the uncertainty, like how extreme is this? How contagious is it? Hmm. The uh, supply chain fears. I remember at one point, you know, seeing multiple people online talking about how right. there's going to be like crazy food shortages because of 
factories having to shut down, um, the, you know, prognostications about the vaccine and, you know, the former record was four years to develop a mumps vaccine and just thinking, holy cow, like four years of this and the uncertainty uh, of how long it would last. Yeah. Yeah. How bad. Yeah. And so what do you think that has done to our collective psyche around kind of disasters? May they be health pandemic related, natural disasters, et cetera. Whew. Maybe, I mean, we've talked about this about a, a bit earlier, like other disasters happen. We kind of maybe have a little hair trigger response mm-hmm. to disasters, to stock up on food, the gas, remember the pipeline shut down. Like there are shortages because people were just overfilling their cars and right. hoarding gas. Uh, you know, we did learn, I think supply chains are more, maybe more resilient than we thought. Um, you know, this plague could have been worse. Right. The pandemic could have been worse. I think, though, the uh, lack of security and the uncertainty was maybe a shock to the system, at least here in the United States. Yeah. Um, because, like, we've talked about, I think, in previous episodes, disease like, like the coronavirus, um, you know, probably would come through every like 20 years in the past right if not more frequently to communities and people were used to just like more death yeah (laughs) um you know the i read a recent wall street journal article that's like the recent in the past 50 years drop in infant mortality yep is a stunning human advancement. Yes. I mean, the fact this woman in the article, it was really shocking to me. It like got me that she said, you know, she's blessed that she has like, I don't know what she said, maybe like three kids, five grandkids, mm-hmm. six or seven nephews, and none of her mm-hmm. kids, grandkids, nephews have died. Yep. I mean, that was unheard of 50 yep. years ago. So anyway, all that to say that... Um, I think we have just be not not as accustomed to suffering and death and illness. Yeah. And this was like, oh, we aren't as secure as we thought, which that security was probably a little bit of an illusion. Yeah. And yeah, things are better than they were 50 years ago. But um, as I, you know, we learned with my medical diagnoses, any of us could wake up tomorrow right, with right. something shocking happening. And I think this just like shook everyone's sense of security. Which, you know, Taylor and I went through a year previous to the pandemic when I was diagnosed with the spinal cord tumor. We had kind of already had that shocking wake up call of, oh, you know, what? Our mortality is threatened, (laughs) even though we're young, healthy people who have it all together. Um, And so I I know what that did to us individually, right? It just, um, you know, I find myself living with a little more fear than I ever did before this. So what does that do collectively? Yeah. I think, yeah, it changed things for sure. This one. Yeah. That's a good point. Maybe another difference post pandemic. And I really do hope it's post. I saw that cases are on the uptick a little bit. I don't know how high it'll go, but it's just some places. Yeah. It's just a bummer to see the graph start to rise again a little bit after so many months of it going down. But anyway, um, but not everywhere, not, not in our area. This is like true. true. in the Southeast. That's true. 
Um, yeah, difference, you know, the approaches to work, uh, I just remember like the culture, I think feel like we've all been blasted to the future in some ways, like particular, like my workplace culture was, they, it was flexible, but there was just sort of this unspoken, I think a lot of people just felt personal guilt maybe about like quote working from home. And even that was somewhat of a pejorative term. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like when you're working from home, like, oh, you're really working from home. But now we know we can do it. <laughs> right. And productivity went up. <laughs> yeah. In just, many cases. I think we all, and maybe if you've done this yourself out there, if you did had this kind of work situation, just I think about, I forgot how long it took to get dressed oh going into the office recently. I remember one morning I came out in shorts and a t-shirt and you were like, uh, shouldn't you start getting ready? <laughs> and you were totally right. Like it took 20 minutes just to... Like, okay, the thing is over here, and then oh, I have to put on a belt, and then I have to, <laughs> oh, then I have to get my wallet and the thing and the other deal. And it's just all the muscle memory stuff from a, two years ago <laughs> had gone out the window. Um, but also, you know, gain, regaining an hour of commuting time, mm-hmm. even just like traveling to meetings. Yeah. And now when I have to do that, I think, oh, like, well, we can just do like three in a row and it's time to <laughs> Can we just one. hop on the fo- phone for 20 minutes? <laughs> yeah, so we've sort of been, bla- we've like been blasted through the awkwardness of that working from home phase. Right, and you know, I always harp on the disability angle, but this was huge for the True. disability community. I saw a lot of people commenting that um, chronically ill or disabled people or frankly moms with young children have been begging for this kind of flexibility and have been told that it's impossible to do or that Mm -hmm. you know they're gonna fall behind or you know whatever it is when they really needed this kind of workplace flexibility and now suddenly we learn oh that was possible yeah so you know it's unfortunate that it had to take this to happen um but on the bright side, it is good for, you know, working moms of young kids, people with illnesses that, you know, require them to take breaks or, you know, perhaps can't be, you know, at their desk for an eight hour day or whatnot um, or need a com- more comfortable situation mm-hmm. or, or whatnot. Or, or they don't have their workplace isn't accessible for yeah. you know, their disability. So this was a huge uh, gain. Curbside pickup. Yes. At stores. Curbs I pick up at stores. Like you go to Nordstrom and yeah. they bring your bag out I've to I've seen you. people, other disabled people on Twitter or on Instagram talk about how like we need this all the time. Like <laughs> let's not have this only be a COVID thing. Yes. But just like a consistent service. Exactly. Exactly. That and grocery delivery yep. becoming commonplace throughout the country. Yep. Um, huge. Another difference. Uh thinking about what one of our pastors said it was a like a relational famine mm-hmm. uh famine of relationships uh i think just, particularly for people single people yeah i think even you know for for us just like not everyone right i mean but yeah particularly for single people yes <laughs> i wasn't enough for you <laughs> <laughs> you were i have all i ever need rachel uh but just you know like within church communities certainly but then even just more broadly uh, face-to-face encounters Mm -hmm. chance encounters at happy hours going over to people's homes for dinner for parties for reunions uh all these different things and i think think there was just this felt need and i think uh as much as technology mitigated the effects there is this 
you know, as Christians, we're embodied yeah. beings with physical bodies and a soul, immaterial soul, just embodied encounters of, mm-hmm. you know, seeing someone face to face, shaking a hand, giving a hug, uh, friends and family. That, uh, I think we, I mean, I think this is just kind of, but maybe just under discussed. It's just make maybe so obvious. <laughs> I guess yeah. how much, how valuable that is. I mean, all the, how different, it's different communicating with someone over a phone or mm-hmm. video, um, all the communication you do through body language. Right. That can be difficult to pick up. Well, and I would argue, and lots of people argue that even before this, we had kind of an isolation, loneliness problem growing. People mm. are becoming more and more isolated and that, you know, Many people say has driven the polarization because hmm. you are not shoulder to shoulder with people who are different from you, yeah. right? Because you're more isolated and um, and you, and you don't get the empathy of understanding someone else's point of view. And so the pandemic, I think, just exacerbated that. Um, hmm. And so I don't know this cultural mix of the isolation plus the sudden like fear and lack of security that I talked about earlier. I think those two are a really potent mix. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wonder if would the storming of the Capitol have happened without this cultural mix, you know, like you wonder would, would all of the social unrest have happened this last year had we not had the pandemic? So what's the, so so people were lonely, the isolation for the first, what, say three months. And this feeling of, I'm not as secure as I uh, thought I was. Huh. So a mixture of those two things, uh, driving people to do something more extreme than they would have ever done Interesting. in the past. Like pent up energy or maybe. I think, I think. Uh, crimes in cities is from that (laughs) right this past year saw the biggest increase in crime and especially big cities across the country right so that's another another trend um that could have been driven by the kind of isolation but i think that was like you know teenagers weren't in school they didn't have those social you know uh social supports in low-income communities where Maybe crime is happening or whatnot. Anyway, that's a whole other ball of wax. But hmm. um, yeah, and schools and yeah, education. Could be the case. Yeah, and yeah, schools and education. That's. I mean, what's what's different there? I guess. Um, yeah, it kind of just depends. It seems like people are more open to different models now. Right. But also, I don't know. The takes seem all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we didn't have a child in school, so I'm sure parents of school aged children out there would have their own perspectives that contribute. There uh, does do seem to thought? be a consensus that the burden was heavier on women, right? Women fell out of the workforce at the most rapid rate we've seen in a long time, hmm. whereas there had, you know, the past decades been the steady increase of women in the workforce, this rapid falling out hmm. of women, right? Because you didn't have childcare. You had to yeah, that's true. supervise schooling or whatnot. Um, so women disproportionately left the workforce over men. 
Um, so, you know, there's that effect too. But yeah, um, I do think there was in some place, you know, it seems like more upper income communities hmm. were more like, hey, we can do learning pods or uh, sure. school yeah. or whatnot. Um, I'm not sure if that was proportionate. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Maybe one final thing. Well, I think we should talk about what should, how should Christians enter the post-pandemic world? What should we hold on to that we learned from this period as Christians? Where are we secure? Mm. Looking at that, where are we operating out of fear or security in God? And (laughs) (laughs) I think, yeah, I mean, just was there a different Christian response to Hmm. COVID than, than, uh, say, like other parts of the culture, whatever Hmm. they might be, mainstream culture, whatever that is. Uh, And (laughs) I mean, I can think of hearing the million different answers in my head for why and what that could look like. But yeah, I th- it was a challenge for us all. And I don't, I don't know how well the Christian community did or not. Hmm. Good point of acting out of fear just as much as non-Christian. Yeah. And then what does it mean to act out of fear? Like some people would say like wearing a mask is acting out of fear. Others would say, no, it's being prudent mm. and protecting your neighbor. Right. Um, is, is, this is something I've always wondered is prepping (laughs) being like stockpiling food and water. Is that just being prepared or is that living in fear is, you know, yeah. Any of that locking your doors. (laughs) Right, right. What's, what's (laughs) living in fear versus being prudent. That's probably a personal gut check between you and God. I think so. It's yeah. It's like maybe the why, I mean, there are challenging things like that all the time. I mean, the, you know, look at the birds of the air. Yeah. I mean, they don't store <laughs> things in barns. Should we have Jesus retirement said. accounts? No. <laughs> yeah. I'm. Gosh. And then there's uh, but then there's other you know scriptures about, uh, you know, saving money and investing it, and right. um. But no matter what. Where, Joseph prepared for famine. Yeah. And, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, and was was blessed because of it. Um, God told him to. <laughs> yes, there's that. Right. Right. I think I think there is a checking checking yourself. And um I don't know, I've always kind of clung to the verse um perfect love drives out fear. Hmm. And you know I think contrasting the two of like, am I living in the comfort of God's perfect love or am I living in my human fear? And fear feels like a scarcity mentality and love feels like an abundance mentality. Yeah. It probably depends too on my personal context. Mm -hmm. Like uh, maybe someone in the medical field going to work every day during a pandemic, mm-hmm. I, I would think is, you know, acting courageously mm-hmm. for love of neighbor. Hmm. Um, I think 
maybe if someone showed up to the house in need or, I mean, this doesn't happen much <laughs> or, uh, you know, how can we donate resources to those who need them more? And I mean, it's always a, it's always a challenge. And I think maybe we're the uncomfortable spot hmm. is where we should maybe give something up. Do you share your last roll of toilet paper? Yeah, something like that. Uh, but hmm. maybe even something that can cut deeper. Maybe that's where we should rest and ask God. Hmm. Like if we have that, uh, if I have that gut reaction of, ooh, but that thing, not yeah. that thing. Or, right? ooh, not that time. Or I can't do that one one thing. <sighs> Tough. Tough. <laughs> yeah. Sorry for providing no answers. <laughs> <laughs> you got to ask God yourself. <laughs> yep. Um, Media stinkers and thinkers. Well, I had one last oh, okay. thought. One last thought. Um, I think a big takeaway that applied to the pandemic and applied to uh, our, my spinal cord tumor is God really uh, making real to me Psalm ninety verse twelve. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And just this idea of our days are not guaranteed um, and and taking stock of them and how that really does build wisdom. That's good. Mm-hmm. All right. Stingers and thinkers. No, okay. <laughs> Taylor, what was your stinker? I think it is that Monsters, Inc. show on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, every time I come in the room, you're watching it. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> well, you don't like cartoons anyway. I don't, I don't. I enjoy cartoons a lot. I really enjoyed Monsters, Inc., Monsters University as well. Um, so I was really excited for the show. I've only seen, I guess, the first like episode and a half, but it's just not that compelling. The animation's a little chintzier than the movies. Huh. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I have any, like, particular critiques maybe i'll <laughs> keep watching it i'm just disappointed i expected more i was hoping Aww. for more yeah i know i'm sorry thank you <laughs> what's yours mine is another movie we watched together last weekend kind of been on like a woody allen's recent movies kick and he's done a couple for amazon i don't know can we watch woody allen movies anymore he's kind of has a sketchy back. anyway we watched the movie, yeah. Wonder Wheel. It had Kate Winslet. I really like everything Kate Winslet is in. Um, <laughs> and, you know, like Mare of Easttown, she had a good accent in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, Just it, as stressed out. Yeah, very stressed out character. She's always stressed out. Um, Was she stressed out in, in Titanic? Well, I mean, the boat, when they... <laughs> I, wouldn't you be? <laughs> but when they're having like, good times on Titanic cruise. Sure, that was the good times. But... Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, it probably was stressful sinking. <laughs> Would you have been stressed out on the Titanic? <laughs> anyway. Well, for like 99% of it, probably not. <laughs> One last percent. Anyway. Can we laugh about the Titanic? Probably shouldn't. Probably shouldn't. So, wait, where was I? Wonder Wheel. Kate me. Winslet. Sorry. Right. The costumes were great. The, like, coloring of the movie was, like, artistically yeah. really interesting. Um, Justin Timberlake was Is this was your in stinker? It. This is my stinker. Okay. 
it was just so depressing. Like, oh, okay. The there whole time, there were so many like violent arguments and relational struggles and depressing things happening that we just the whole time we're looking at each other and like cringing that it and and I'm sure that's what they designed the movie to have you do, but yeah, just yeah, too depressing. It was depressing. Yeah. Thinker. Thinker. My thinker is. Um, a book that I am reading, it's more of like a, a guide, uh, The Money Smart Solopreneur, A Personal Finance System for Freelancers, Entrepreneurs, and Side Hustlers. Hmm. So if you're looking to get a side hustle out there, I recommend it or start a small business. So in, what year was that? 2019, <laughs> I started my own uh, small business and Gosh, it was just hours of sorting through and figuring out how do I, what structure should I make my business, an S-corp or an LLC? What accounting software should I use? Do I hire an accountant? How do I keep my books? Do I have to track my hours? Mm. What do I do for, you know, a invoice? What do I do? What's the best practice for sending out a proposal? All this stuff. And it just was... It, it takes a lot of legwork to figure out all these yeah. different pieces. So I was very thankful. I had lots of friends that had done this, gave me tons of advice, but it took hours of meeting with friends and researching the mm. and all that. All of the information that I sought <laughs> and gleaned from people is in this book. So oh I really wish I would have had it in 2019. How'd you hear about it then? It's uh, by this author, Laura Adams. And she, I heard about her, I believe she was on another podcaster's Instagram, or he was on her podcast, Jason Pfeiffer, your friend, Taylor. Oh. Huh. Um, and she has like this huh. money girl or money smart personal finance podcast that I don't remember the name of, but we'll link to. That's a good recommendation. It's funny that all the information was there. Like really all the information. Really? It was like the wow. difference between an S-Corp and an LLC and what they provide. Wow. And sure, it's not like super in-depth, like not for a sure. accountant or something. Looks pretty short. But for me to like go through and see all the possible options, Handy. it was great. Mm -hmm. For all you small business. And side hustlers out starters there. Starters out there. <laughs> <laughs> my thinker is... Uh, I mean, I don't know if this qualifies because I didn't finish it, but I was just really impressed by the author of this book that I just started reading on the Thirty Years' War in Europe. Oof. <laughs> what a riveting read. It is, actually. Um, it started in this Thirty Years' War. I mean, I knew, I knew nothing. Uh, it started in 1618. Shocking. <laughs> Everyone, Taylor, knows about the Thirty Years' War. <laughs> Everyone. Um, 1618, okay. But... Uh, the thinker is the author, C.V. Wedgwood. <laughs> what a name. I learned is a woman. C.V. Wedgwood? Yeah. Okay. Who wrote this book in 1938. Wow. At the age of 28. Wow. And I was looking around the internet, as one does, what is the best book on the 30 Years' War? And this was like top of everyone's list. Wow. Um, I just think that's super impressive and wow. rare. Very. I mean, to write a book at 28, but then as a woman in like the first half of the 20th century. Wow. Huh. Yeah. That is C.V. Wedgwood. So what's the 30 Years War? What was it about? I'm learning. <laughs> Why did it start? I mean, she's just talking right now about kind of setting the table. You know, the Reformation had recently happened, of course. Um, 
I don't really think about the effects of, you know, Calvinism happening. Mm. So you have Lutheranism and then of course Germany's fractured. It's not united. She talks just about how bad governments were just Mm. like bad at being governments. Um, So if you were effective in a tyrannical government, people were just like, well, at least you're effective so we can deal with it. (laughs) Right. Because if we have Liberty, like usually we just don't have any help whatsoever. And just like the warring tribes and factions in Germany Uh and, How Spain was falling apart at the time, and uh, Poland was a was a big deal right oh, around yeah. then. Mm-hmm. Um, the Hanseatic League was a thing. Um, the amount of she had she said one source of a person who walked from Dresden to what did I say uh, another city, <laughs> uh, whatever it was, but just uh, like seventy hundred bodies strung up along the road. They counted on the way. 70 hundred 70 to 100 <laughs> 70 hundred uh, wow. who are being you know, executed for crimes or whatever and just, just corpses are rotting up there and just how different a world that was so violent yeah from, it's like a if you'd pop me back there I don't know what I would have I would have done I would hmm. but anyway it's CV Wedgwood interesting great read hmm. so far wrote it when she was 28 in 1938 fascinating yep well, thank you for listening in to We're the Barclays. Hopefully gave you some food for thought. Yes, send us your thoughts. We'll see you next week.